Hey guys, it's Scott. I just want to thank you for tuning into the Blue Ridge Church podcast. You know, I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope it's inspiring to you. And I pray most of all, it's going to help you on your faith journey. So enjoy today. Thanks so much for being here. Welcome to Blue Ridge Church. I want to welcome you if you're here watching with us online. And just thank you so much for being here today. Um, especially if it's your first time or you're new to the church, uh, thanks for just showing up and, and giving a Blue Ridge a shot. Just want to let you know we're not going to do anything crazy or make you stand up and introduce yourself. Uh, we're just glad you're here. Honestly, we truly are. We're in this series called Faith Works, and over the last few weeks, we've been talking about how our faith actually works and some of the practical ways that we see in the Bible and in our lives of how that plays out. And so we've done this over the last, yes, last week was the first part of this kind of mini-series within this series. But last week, we started talking about our emotional health and how our emotional health is really important to our faith. And our faith is really important to our emotional health. Uh, We talked about how those things are interconnected and how you can't really be emotionally healthy without being spiritually healthy. You can't be spiritually healthy without, without being emotionally healthy. And then we talked about what it truly means to find purpose and meaning. And those things are really important because they're going to give us a lot of groundwork of what we're going to talk about today. And so if you didn't get a chance to watch that or listen to it, I want to encourage you to do that, if, especially if you're someone who is trying to make a, an effort to improve your emotional health or your spiritual health. There's some really helpful groundwork things in that that will help make a lot more this morning make sense, but also give you an understanding and idea of not only why we're here, but your purpose and meaning in life as well. Where we ended was... We talked about the purpose that we have as being a reflection of God. And that, uh, you know, kind of brought up a little old Polaroid camera and talked about how inside there's a mirror in that camera. And, and it really, you know, shows us exactly what God tells us to do and what the purpose why we were made. Because a camera captures an image and then reflects that image off of a mirror onto that film. And in that same way, we're supposed to capture who God is and, and discover who God is and then reflect that back to him and to the world around us, the people around us. And by doing that, gives us purpose and meaning in our lives. And so when we talk about things like following Jesus or following after God or following Christ, it's not just something that we say because that's what Christians are supposed to do, but that we've learned throughout the Bible, especially in the book of Colossians, that Jesus is the perfect image of God. And so if we want to know what it means to follow God and to reflect God back to him and to the world around us, we need to look at Jesus, to look at how he lived his life to how he did certain things and, and how he you know, lived out his faith and lived out uh, the purpose and the meaning of his life and then capture that and reflect it back to God. And so this morning, we're going to talk about a lot of the practical things. We're going to go a little faster pace than we normally go. We're going to talk about a lot of, have a lot of learnings and different subpoints. And so um, I don't want you to get overwhelmed by this. And especially when we talk about emotional well-being, I don't want, the last thing I want is for you to be overwhelmed by all this information and all these applications. But I want to just encourage you to maybe pick two or three different things we talk about this morning and apply them to your life uh, just so you can start seeing what God intended in your life to find that emotional and spiritual balance that so many of us desire and we pursue. And so if you want to take notes this morning, you can go ahead and open up the Church Center app or scan that QR code in front of you and follow along. But here's the first learning. Learning number one, healthy relationships provide balance to our faith and our emotional well-being. One of the most important things we can do for our faith, for our emotional health, for our spiritual health, is put a priority on finding good, biblical, healthy relationships. 
people in our lives who we can trust, people who we can depend on, people who we can experience life with. But the heart of it is to be able to find people who we can also live and go on this journey of faith with uh, to not only just give us balance, but give us health and give us a better perspective as to what that purpose is. Um, relationships are hard. You know, we kind of laughed about this last service, but relationships are really difficult, especially as an adult. I think that maybe if we can agree on one thing, uh, all of us, is that as you get older, making friends, making good friends is really hard to do. Um, you know, we look at the Bible, we look at all these miracles of Jesus. We look at Jesus raising the dead. We look at him, you know, healing the sick and, and giving the, the ability to walk to people who have never been able to walk before. But one of the most important, I think the crazy coolest miracles that we see Jesus ever perform is his ability to, in his early 30s, find 12 really good friends. <laughs> right? Like, that's not really easy to do. Like, that's a miracle in itself, isn't it? <laughs> Right? Like to be able to just in a few short months find 12 really close friends in his life that he can depend on and rely on and invest in in his life. See, Jesus, when you look at the New Testament, he's got what I would consider to be the perfect model of relationships, of healthy relationships, of what they're supposed to look like, of how we find them, of how we structure them in our lives. And, uh, and so we see this in the people that he hung around with. So you kind of see this in different layers. So there's the first layer is the 12 disciples or the 12 apostles. Those are the people that Jesus chose to, uh, to, to be with in his life. He lived with them. He traveled with them. He ate with them. He joked around with them, invested in them. They had a good relationship. But within those 12, it's pretty clear that Jesus spent a lot more time with three of them, Peter, James, and John. And so out of the 12, there was three that he really focused in on and had a much closer relationship to them than he had with the other nine. They got to see certain miracles that the other ones didn't get to see. Uh, he taught them in different ways sometimes than he taught the rest of them or taught the crowds. And so he had a different level of relationship with these three than he had with the other ones. But then if we go a step further, within that three, you can see there was one apostle, the apostle John, who Jesus seemed to have a different connection with than he had with the rest of the guys. That there was a certain something about the relationship that he had, we're going to look at it in a little bit, but, but enough to bring him to a spot where the Bible says that this was the apostle that Jesus loved. Not that he didn't love the other ones, not that he doesn't love everyone, but there was something about John and a relationship, a connection that Jesus had with John that pushed him from just being a friend or a good friend to being what we would probably consider to be a best friend, to be someone who he can trust and rely on. We see in the Bible, John shows up in ways and in times when nobody else shows up and does things for Jesus and his family, that really exemplifies what it means to have a true, biblical, healthy relationship. Now, I don't want us to get caught up in the numbers of that, like the 12, 3, and 1, because it's less about the numbers as it is about like the structure of what that is, that, that there's a bigger group of friends and then a smaller group of friends and then one friend or one or two really good friends that you can trust people who you can depend on, people who you can rely on, people who are going to speak truth to you uh, and, and give you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear, but people who will show up in the moments where everyone else doesn't. And so if we look at those relationships, we see what Jesus did, and we look at it throughout the rest of the New Testament, we see that a lot of these biblical principles are reaffirmed all throughout the Scripture. And so the first sub-point I want you to, to fill in here is that biblical relationships have purpose, and intentionality. Okay, when you look at relationships in general, 
Um, you're not, you can be friends with someone because you're around them frequently, but typically uh, it's got to go a step further, right? There's usually a shared experience. There's usually some sort of uh, purpose or intention in a relationship that you would consider to be a good friend or a really healthy relationship in your life. Here's what 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11 says. So encourage each other and build each other up, just as you're already doing. So one of the, the first things we see as how relationships, good relationships, are purposeful or intentional is how Paul says they encourage one another and they build each other up. That the people who you're friends with, people who you've got close relationship are those who are, are, are building you up and helping you go throughout life. Maybe your version, or if you've never ever seen this in an older version of the Bible, it, says, it uses the word edify. That the people around you that you consider to be your friends edify you and build you up in your faith and in your life. And I thought this was interesting because <clears throat> that word is actually not necessarily a relational term. It's a term that's used around, what 2,000 years ago, was used around construction and building uh, projects and specifically building homes. Uh, back then, you didn't really hire out a contractor to build your house who did all the different things. You were sort of left up to your own devices and your own resources and your own energy to, to do what you could to build your house yourself. But there was people in that culture that were known for uh, being edifiers of people who would sacrifice their own time to go and help you build your house so you didn't have to do it by yourself. And so when Paul says that one of the purposes of a healthy biblical relationship is to encourage one another and build one another up, what he's saying here is that we need people in our lives who will help us build us up in everything we're pursuing. People who are going to encourage us, people who are, like I said, going to speak truth to us, people who are going to be there in moments when we need them, not people who tear us down or take away from who we are or who we want to become, but people who help us literally build up our lives to get to where that completion is, like the completed house, is, which is every one of our goals to be, right? To finding that purpose, to finding that meaning, to have that fulfillment in our lives. And so Paul says that in Thessalonians. In this verse in, in, in Galatians, he says something similar in chapter 6. He says, share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. So he's saying part of healthy biblical relationships are not just encouraging one another and building one another up, but it's sharing in one another's burdens. But that's what signifies, that's the purpose, and that's one of the intentions of a good relationship, is that you're sharing the burdens with people who are struggling, or you have people in your life that when you're going through really difficult times where you're struggling or you're in pain, or you're depressed, or you just can't find meaning and purpose in your life, that you've got them there to help carry the load of whatever it is you're carrying. Right, again, it's sort of a metaphor of what Paul is saying here is that when you see someone carrying something heavy, if that's your good friend, like, you're going to go help them, right? Well, maybe you let them struggle a little bit first. <laughs> but, but that's a natural thing, right? We, want, we don't want people to have to go around carrying heavy things in life. And when it comes to emotional burdens... Right? Maybe that's financial struggles, or that's medical issues, or that's the death of a loved one, or going through a divorce. You need people in your life who are going to come carry the weight of the burdens that you're carrying around in your life. That's one of the purposes, of, one of the biblical purposes of a God-made relationship is that people in your life help carry the burdens that you go through and that you carry around with you. So we see that there's a lot of purpose but there's a lot of intentionality in the relationships that God wants us to have. And, and I think it's important for us, if we're seeking emotional well-being and emotional balance, that we make it a priority to find people in our lives 
who fit that bill and who, who really are there for us in those moments. The Apostle John, the one that Jesus was closest to, was the only apostle who showed up at the foot of the cross when Jesus was being crucified. All the other ones either ran away or didn't have the confidence to go there and to watch that or to, to risk their own lives. But John loved Jesus so much and he had such a strong relationship with him that he was there for him. And he was bearing the burden that Jesus was carrying of, of being able to someone, have someone to take care of his mom when he would be gone. See, we need people in our lives that are like that. We need to find people and have relationships that, that people truly care about us and truly uh, consider us as people who matter to them. And, and all these are reciprocal, right? A good, healthy relationship isn't just someone else doing this for us, but it's also us doing that for them. And so you can tell like, what relationships in your life are really good, healthy relationships and which ones aren't by how that is reciprocated. <clears throat> right? So if you're investing and you're carrying the load of other people and you're you know, supporting other people and you're, you're helping edify them and build them up, but they're not doing that for you, then that might not be a relationship that you want to keep going in and considering that to be something that is helping you emotionally or in your faith. Or, or the other way around, like if other people are helping you and, and serving you and sacrificing for you and speaking truth into your life, but you're not doing that to them, then you're cutting them short of what God wants in their lives and what God is trying to help them build into in their lives. Relationships are, are both one way and the other, right? You can't just have one, you can't just have the other. We've got to combine those and have those healthy relationships. So the, the question is, <clears throat> the problem actually is, is, is how do we make these friends? Right? Like if relationships are really difficult and they're really hard, then how do we get to a spot in our lives, especially as adults, to make relationships, to find people who will do those things like carry our burdens and help us go throughout life. And I think we see some truth in the book of Luke, chapter 16, verse 9. This is Jesus saying, <clears throat> talking about relationships, he says, use your worldly resources to benefit others and to make friends. Now, without context, this sort of makes it seem like Jesus is saying, buy friendships or use your money to buy friends. Uh, which, again, without context, kind of seems like that, but really it's more of a principle, is what Jesus is saying here is that we need to make it a priority to invest and be willing to invest in our relationships, right? Relationships just don't happen, you know, can they kind of happen accidentally as kids, and we'll talk about that in a second, but, but we need to take it a step further, right? We can't just rely on just seeing them at work every day or seeing them at church or seeing them at the gym. We've got to make a conceited effort concerted effort to actually invest our time, our energy, our resources, sometimes maybe even your money into that relationship, to pursue that relationship, even though it might be awkward and even though it might be weird, but to go after that relationship and invest in it in ways that help produce that biblical, healthy relationship. Again, I think it's hard as an adult to do. It's a lot easier as kids. <clears throat> when you're a kid, think about the relationships you had. It came easy to you, didn't it? Like, didn't relationships come so easy? And that's mostly because uh, we shared a lot of common interests with kids we grew up in or who we gravitated towards. Or maybe it's you went to school with them for, some of you, for 13 years in, in you know, elementary school and middle school and high school. You saw the same people, were in the same classes, played the same sports, uh, played the same instrument. Or maybe you went into college and you were in the same dorm or the same major. And so you had a lot of repeated exposure of being around those people, but also you shared a lot of experiences and had a lot in common with those other people. And that's sort of the, the key to making friends, isn't it? It's not just being around those other people, but having things in common, sharing experiences, 
going through things together, joyful things, good things, celebrating together, winning together, sometimes losing together, is what builds and, and cultivates those relationships. And so for us as adults, it's kind of the same. It really hasn't changed, it's just our settings have changed, but the concept of what a good relationship is and how we get there is the same thing, right? It's that repeated proximity where we're around those people for, for whatever that might be, whether it is because you work with them or because you share an interest with them, but you have so much in common with those people that they go from just an acquaintance to someone who you consider to be a good, healthy friendship. See, for kids, again, it's a lot easier. And it's more so because kids put themselves out there more than we do as an adult. Right? Think about it as a kid. Like, if I go home today and someone rings our doorbell and I open up the door and it's a five-year-old boy and he wants to know if Wyatt can come out and play... That's completely normal, right? That's expected, that's normal. But if I go home and someone rings the doorbell and it's a 35-year-old man and he wants to know if Matt can come out and play, <laughs> like, I'm calling the cops. <laughs> like, like, that is interesting, like, that's weird, right? We don't do that anymore. And, and, and really, that's the hard part about being an adult and having a relationship is we don't necessarily do the weird and awkward things like kids did that often turned into those fruitful relationships in our lives. <clears throat> but here's what it comes down to. Ooh, got a stink bug up here. That was interesting. <laughs> but here's what we need to do. This, this is how you make relationships, is, is if you're struggling to find people you can truly trust, people you can actually invest in, and, and I don't mean, you know, you can't be friends and best friends with your spouse or your immediate family. That's, that's one thing. But, but having good friends is something completely different outside of that. If you're struggling that way, here's what, what we need to do is to find people who like the same things we like or share the same type of hobbies that we have and go wherever they are, right? So if you love working out, you love going to the gym, find a place where you can work out with them as a group. Maybe that's like in a class or some sort of different setting. And, and as you, when you go around those people, what you already share is a common interest. Typically, you're in the same stage of life. You've got a lot in common with one another. And over a longer period of time, what happens is you start building relationships with those people that turn into what we're reading about, these healthy relationships that God wants us to have. Now, this is, again, easier said than done, and so I don't want to stand up here and make it seem like this is easy. You just got to go do something like that. But, <clears throat> but one of the reasons or one of the ways we set up our groups at this church, and if you're new to the church and you don't know what that is, that's pretty much like our small group ministry at the church. We call them groups. But these groups are specifically designed to help facilitate relationships between people, between people who are strangers, who have never met each other, but people who share the same common interests with each other. We have all sorts of different types of groups. We've got Bible study groups where people, you know, we've got groups of men that get together and they study the word together. We've got groups of women who do the same thing, groups of kids and youth that do the exact same thing. But what we also have are these things called activity groups. And these groups are specifically designed in order to help facilitate you making friends with someone else at the church. And so these groups sometimes don't have not anything to do with the church or have to do with God or the Bible. It's not like a Bible study. These are just purely groups of people doing things that they enjoy doing that they can find other people who like them as well. So we've got groups of people who go bowling together every couple of weeks. 
We've got groups of people who go out to different restaurants every couple weeks in the New River Valley. We've got people who knit and sew together. We've got people who love cars. And so what they've done is they put together car shows every single month that all the proceeds go to some nonprofit or something local to help support. But, but these people, they're meeting one another and they're in relationships with one another because they have not only a shared common interest, but they have a goal of building relationships with one another. We've got groups of people who come and work out at the church together or go to a gym together. We've got groups of stay-at-home parents who get together with their kids and let their kids play, and they build relationships together. We have all these different types of groups at the church that are specifically designed to facilitate those relationships to give each one of us an opportunity to build a relationship that means something and that matters. And so, again, easier said than done, but I would encourage you that if you are someone who is looking for relationships, if you're someone who's struggling because you're lonely or you can't, you have trouble connecting with other people and you just feel like you're, you're in a spot where it's maybe you and your spouse or you and your family, but you really have no one outside of that, I want to encourage you to look at our group page and see if there's something for you that would be in, in, something you're interested in and a place for you and a setting for you you'd feel comfortable in meeting new people. I know that there's a limited amount of groups that we have. You know, there's, we've got about 50 or 55 groups right now. And you might look at it and you might say, there's really nothing that I am interested in. And we get that every single semester. There's, you know, certain things that we can't obviously offer because, you know, we can't have something for everybody. But if you're in that spot and you're in the position where you really want to meet people, but you don't find anything on that site, then I want to encourage you to start a group. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to be even an extroverted person, but just start a group of something you love to do and enjoy to do. And, and the chances are, because it's a church this size, there's most likely going to be a lot of other people who have those same interests and would join a group like that. Right? Unless you're into something like really weird, like beetle hunting, then like I really don't know what I could do. But, but it's the concept, right? Is, is being around other people with similar shared interests in letting your relationship blossom into something that can matter and to mean something in your life. And so when it comes to emotional health, when it comes to our faith, when it comes to finding that balance of, of all those things we should be doing and need to be doing, relationships are right in the front of things that we need to be doing in order to find that balance. Here's learning number two. Something else we need to do to find that emotional peace and emotional balance is self-care gives us the freedom to live out the purpose and the meaning that God gives to us. Now, before you're like, oh, self-care, like self-help stuff, um, I, I don't want you to see self-care as something that is negative or something that is, you know, conceited in, in your own life, that it's where it's only about yourself and you got to put your first, or your, yourself first before you consider other people. That's not what I'm saying. It's not what self-care is. Self-care is just simple. It's taking care of yourself to help you pursue what God wants you to pursue. It's, it gives you the freedom. That's the learning. It gives you freedom in your life to be able to pursue your purpose, to pursue your meaning. It gives you the freedom in your life to go out in the world and to be able not just to emotionally handle trials and hard things, but it also gives you the peace and confidence to know that you are living in what God has created you to live. But it starts with being able to take care of ourselves first. Check this verse out in Matthew chapter 22. This is Jesus speaking in verse 39. He says, love your neighbors as yourself. Now, that's interesting, right? Because the first verse before this that's not on the screen is the two most important commands, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Oftentimes, we'll read that, and all we'll think is that's just outward, right? We just got to love other people. 
But what Jesus is implying here, or what Jesus assumes, is that we already love ourselves, and we use the love that we have for ourselves in order to be a reference point on how to love other people. That being able to love other people starts first with God, but then goes to us, right? Where we need to learn how to love ourselves. Sometimes that means to forgive ourselves and to put up with ourselves before we can truly love other people the way God wants us to do that. Here's what Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 says. Jesus is speaking here, and he's talking a lot about how sometimes a small and seemingly insignificant thing can actually have a bigger impact on our lives than most of us think. And he says, your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. So notice what he's saying is something that might seem like it's insignificant or not as important actually has a a big impact on the rest of our lives. And it's the same with self-care and taking care of ourselves and learning how to actually love ourselves, not to a place where we, again, put ourselves first before other people, but love ourselves in a healthy way that gives us the freedom to be able to do the things that God has called us to do. And so he starts to start, you start with yourself. You've got to start with loving yourself. Here's the first subpoint to that, is we need to learn how to show ourselves grace. One of the hardest things to do is to show ourselves grace. And when we talk about reflecting who God is and, and capturing who God is and reflecting that back to, the, to him and back to the, the world around us, one of the things we've got to understand is how much God gives us grace. For those of us who've got a relationship with him, the Bible teaches us that his grace is unending that his grace for us is undeserved. It's not something we've got to earn. And it's something that God freely gives to all of us who believe. Here's what it says in James chapter 4, verse 6. It says, He gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You know who the hardest people to love in life is? New England Patriots fans, right? Yeah, let's go. No, it's ourselves, right? The hardest people to show grace to is ourselves. Especially as you get older in your life and you go through a lot of stuff, it gets really hard to forgive yourself. It gets really hard to put up with yourself. And it gets really hard to show ourselves that undeserved grace that God shows us. And here's, here's how I can prove that, is think about a time in your life where one of your friends or someone who you really cared about, maybe it's a family member, that they went through a really difficult time. And maybe that's because they made a mistake, or maybe they had some sort of moral failure, or you know, something happened to where they're beating themselves up and they're really discouraged. What do you say to that person when they're going through that? Like if you're a good friend, right? You pick them back up and you try to help them get back on their feet and you, and you explain to them, it's okay, like you'll get through this, we'll get through this together. You're human, we all make mistakes. We just, it just depends on how we get back up and pursue those things again and, and, and correct those mistakes and try not to let that happen in the future, right? Now think about that same scenario, but instead of someone else, think about you making that mistake. Maybe that was a moral failure or some kind of thing that you did that hurt other people or hurt yourself or something that you did again after you told yourself you weren't gonna do it. How do you treat yourself? Typically, what we do is we beat ourselves up, right? If you're like me, it's like, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. I can't believe, man, I'll never learn. And then we beat ourselves up and we just berate ourselves, right? I feel like it's really true to many of us that we would never treat other people the way we treat ourselves. And so when it comes to emotional health and it comes to trying to figure out 
how God wants us to take care of ourselves, we need to start with showing ourselves grace, the way God shows us grace. Another thing we need to do is we need to establish healthy routines. We sort of hit on this last week a little bit, but how important it is to get ourselves in routines that uh, bring our lives stability. We talked last week about getting in the Word as much as we can every single day to start off the day in God's Word to, so that we have the fuel to not just be prepared for the day, but to plan out and to grow within the days that we live in our lives, right? So getting in the Word, having healthy routines really helps us to accomplish that, especially in a world that's always changing, right? It's really emotionally healthy to have something that's constant in your life when all around us it seems like to be going crazy all the time and so chaotic. Here's what Ephesians 5, chapter 5, verse 15 and 16 says. It says, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil, day, or, yeah, in these evil days. So he's saying, get it in the habit of making good routines, of healthy routines, things that help you get through your life, things that aren't um, live, like what we would consider living like a fool, but things that set you up for success. So one of the things that I do, especially when it comes to emotional well-being, is uh, I don't know why I've, I'm like this. Maybe it's because, you know, for high school and college, I procrastinated about ever, just about everything. Um, but I typically get pretty overwhelmed by a lot of tasks when I've got a lot of things to do, whether that's with my job or with, you know, responsibilities around the house or whatever that might be. Uh, when I've got a lot going on, sometimes I just emotionally shut down because it gets so overwhelming and I just don't know where to start. There's so much to do. I don't know where to start. And so one of the things I've gotten in a really good habit of doing that has helped me be able to focus on the things that truly matter, right, like my purpose in life and my faith, is I've started to write everything, every single thing that I need to get done, write it down on paper, I can't use my phone even because there's so much noise on there and, you know, it gets lost in all the billion other things that we've got on our phones. But, but writing it down physically on paper actually gives a lot of emotional balance to me in my life. And I've gotten in a really healthy routine of doing things like this that, like we talked about, give us the freedom and give me the freedom to pursue and to focus on the things that truly matter. And so healthy routines are a really big deal. Healthy routines, healthy habits, maybe that's for you, it's for exercise, maybe for you it, it is getting in the Word every single morning, maybe for you it's getting in the routine of when you pray. I know some people I talked to last service, they say one of the biggest routines and habits that they've formed that have helped them emotionally is on the way to work, on their drive, they, they turn the music off and they just pray the whole way, whether that's a 5, 10, 15, 20 minute drive, that's the routine they've gotten in and it's helped set them up for success. It's helped give them the understanding and focus of what truly matters and what we're really here for and finding that emotional balance. And so we need to establish healthy routines. Here's another thing we need to do. We need to limit our biggest distractions. Our world is so busy. Things go by so quick. We've got so much going on. Uh, we live in a microwave world. Right? It's not like an oven where things take, you know, just take a long time to cook or like a garden that a plant takes a long time to grow. We live in a very fast-paced world where things are changing constantly, and that means there's so many things around us that distract us from our purpose and from our meaning. And so when we look at the Bible, it's very clear that it teaches us to do what we can to get, rid of all and to get rid of or limit the distractions that we have in our lives. Here's what Psalm chapter 119 says in verse 37. He says, turn my eyes from the worthless things and give me life through your word. David's saying here, there's things in my life that I get distracted by that take away from who I know I'm supposed to be. And so in this prayer or this song that he's singing to God, 
He's asking God to take away my, my, my sight from seeing the worthless things around me, the things that I spend endless hours doing that mean nothing, that don't matter, that don't help me to become a better follower of Christ, that don't help me to become a better human being, but things that distract me from that and take away from who he knows who God wants him to be. And so he says, turn my eyes from the worthless things in my life. Now, I'm not saying that it's not healthy every once in a while to go and do something that's brainless. Uh, I think... I honestly think it's really important for us every once in a while to, you know, maybe let us binge that television show or, you know, have time where we're scrolling through social media and we're online and we're just getting away and escaping a little bit from things going on. And like last week, some of those things aren't bad, but we've just got to have control over it, right? Because if we don't have control over it, what happens? They have control over us and they become addictions and they become bad habits that lead us further away from who God wants to be instead of closer, And so like this verse, we all need to get to a spot and understand what are the things in my life that distract me from becoming who God wants me to be? What are the the worthless and wasted amount of time things that I do in my life that really take away from God's purpose in my life? Social media is a really good one. That that sometimes it's easy to get glued to our phones and, and, and really focus on the things that in the end really don't matter, right? And sometimes we can get so obsessed with those things where we are so invested in them that we actually get our self-worth and derive our value from what we post or, or how we are seen or how many followers we have or how many likes we have on social media. And, and I don't want to stand up here and pretend I'm, I'm like the old man trying to tell you you should get off your phones because that's, you know, that's the devil's work. Uh, but, but here's what I would encourage you to do. Um, I would encourage you, especially if you're someone who struggles with being glued to your phone and you're always on social media, Um, I would encourage you to do this. I would encourage you at some point today, tomorrow, whenever, to go online and search and research the correlation between mental health disorders and excessive social media consumption. I think you'll end up finding some really surprising things about the correlation between the rise of uh, anxiety disorders, depression disorders, uh, and a lot of other issues that you could probably look into that have a direct correlation to how much time we spend on apps like Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. Again, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you you have to limit yourself and, you know, 30 minutes a day or whatever. I'm not your mom and not your dad. Like, you've got to figure out how to do that on your own. But, but here's what I will say, is we need to be very, very, very careful that we don't uh, assume our self-worth and the value of our lives based on some billion-dollar company's algorithm that was created to manipulate your emotions. Right? Those things were created to keep you addicted to those things, to make money off of you. They don't have your best interest in mind. And so don't let your self-worth, don't let the value of your life be determined by what you do or do not post or what happens on social media or the lives that you see of all the people around you who seem to be like having the greatest times of their life when you're stuck in, in your own life when you have none of that. We need to limit the distractions. We need to get a control on the things that often control us. And it's not just social media, right? It's not just a generational thing. For you, it might not be TikTok. For you, it could be the news, right? The news does the exact same thing. It's the same principle, that it's done in a way, like if you're someone who watches the news and you just get enraged, like when you hear something that someone did, or maybe you saw something that, you know, someone of the opposing political party that you believe in and you, and you vote, they said something and they do something and it just leaves you angry and upset and it just kind of unhinges you emotionally, you need to guard that too. 
We need to guard those things that often send us off the rails, things that, like we talked about a few weeks ago, cause anger or bring temptation or, or put us in a spot where we're just emotionally unwell and emotionally unfit to make major decisions in our lives. And so we need to get a grip and we need to get a control on those things if we want to have emotional balance. Here's another thing. We need to seek wise counsel. Another part of self-care is, and kind of you can combine this with relationships too, is having people in your life that you trust and trust enough that are going to give you not what you want to hear, but the things you need to hear. You know, emotions cloud our judgment. And that's not always a bad thing. Like sometimes it's good emotions, but when we're angry, when we're frustrated, when we're sad, we're depressed, even when we're in love, that can often cloud our judgment when it comes to making really big decisions in our lives. Right? Like when you are angry, you're typically, you know, what we talked about with Scott a few weeks ago is, is you are more likely to make poor choices when you're angry than when you're calm. Right? This is just simple. Right? It's not, it's not anything crazy, but, but here's what it says in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 22. Plans go wrong for a lack of advice, but many advisors bring success. Right? Like we need to be in a place in our lives where we have people not only that we can trust, but people we can turn to for advice. Not to get their permission, but to get their perspective. Right? It's important for us to get the perspective of someone outside of us because other people often see things that we don't see. And it's not just anyone, right? We don't want to go ask random people what they think about a decision we make or go online and ask what they think. Like find people who, who you trust, who trust you, who you trust them, you've got a good relationship with, and bounce ideas off of them. Right? Ask them what they think about decisions that you're going to make. One of the books that I, I ask every single married couple to read together before they get married is a book uh, that talks about uh, marriage things, and marriage um, you know, uh, situations in a relationship that we would never truly ever think about, but it's based on someone who wished they would have known this before they got married. It's things I wish I would have known before I got married. And one of the purposes of why I ask people to read that is because it gives us a different perspective that's different from what we see and what we think about. And so having people in our lives that we can go to, who we can seek wisdom from, and we can really grow with. And here's the last learning. We'll close with this. If we want to be emotionally balanced, if we want to have that spiritual balance, we need to control what we can control and let God control the rest. We've got to get to a spot where we understand that it's just not worth worrying about things that we have no influence and no control over. Worry in itself isn't just a bad thing. I don't want you to think that it's just all bad and, and no worry can be beneficial because certain ways to worry, we can worry certain ways that, that actually help us, right? So as a parent, uh, I've got a, a one-year-old, I worry about the things that he eats because right? I don't want him to eat something or put something in his mouth, which he'll do, any, he'll put everything in his mouth. I don't want him to eat certain things that he could choke on or things that would be a danger to him. And so my worry for that actually helps me prevent certain things from happening. Those are things I can control. But when the Bible talks about worry in a negative way, it's usually always talking about us worrying about things we can't control. Here's what Jesus says in the book of Luke. He says, can, you, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying about bigger things? What he's saying here is that not only is worrying about things we can't control terrible for emotional and spiritual well-being, but it also takes away from our ability to focus on the things that we actually can control. So not only is it hurting us because it's causing worry and anxiety and stress in our lives, but it's reducing our capacity to actually take care of the things that we should be able to take care of and we do have control and influence over. See, what it really comes down to is learning how to trust God. 
learning how to trust God in the moments where we're emotionally, uh, you know, a mess, learning how to trust God in the moments where we have no control and we don't know what we're doing and we don't know how everything works, but getting to a spot like Shandy just prayed after that last song where we trust him with our lives. Not just because it's the thing we should do as Christians, but it's the things we know is right for our spiritual health, our emotional health, and for our faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is, it is easily possible that it's overwhelming to just go through all this and read through your word and see all the different things that you know, we should be doing and the ways we should be living. And, and it's easy to look at ourselves and think, I'm not doing any of this stuff. It's, it's easy to, to go throughout life with being lonely and not having good, healthy relationships. It's easy for a lot of us to go through our lives and not taking care of ourselves emotionally and spiritually. And a lot of times it brings us to a place where we just know that something is missing. And it's not just for those of us who don't have a relationship with Christ. It's those of us who do. It's those of us who do have a relationship with you. And, and God, help us and give us more and more faith and show us the plans that you have for us. God, let us never forget the purpose and the meaning that you give to us. And let's never forget how important it is to take care of ourselves and to find people and have people in our lives that help facilitate and bring us emotional stability. God, we love you, and we ask you to keep showing us that grace and giving us the grace that only you can give. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, real quick, two things. Um, one of them is that we've got a, a group right now that's forming very recently that's actually planning a missions trip to Belgium in the fall. And so we, if you, maybe if you were here before COVID, we actually had a group like this planned and we were ready to go on a trip, missions trip. Um, but with COVID, we couldn't travel and couldn't do all that. So that fell through the craps, crap, oh, cracks, sorry. <laughs> I've got the kids all weekend. So this is like, this is like the end. <laughs> but if you're interested in that, or maybe you're like, I want to go serve someone. I want to go overseas and, and go serve people, especially people who are a lot less fortunate than we are and do it in a way that we're glorifying God. Then I want you just to consider that group. Uh, you don't have to automatically go on the trip if you sign up for the group. There's a lot of information on our group's page. But if you're interested in finding out more information, just join the group. And our leader, Steve, is a great leader. He's done this kind of thing before. He'll give you all the information that you need about it. <clears throat> the second thing is, is next Sunday, so a week from today, is going to be our first week of leader, group leader signups. And so if you were thinking throughout that talk, especially when we were talking about relationships that you would love to join a group or you'd love to be a part of a group or maybe you'd love to lead a group. Not that you need to be a Bible scholar or anything like that, but maybe you've got some sort of interest or a hobby that you really enjoy doing and you want to see if other people enjoy it as well and build some relationships. Uh, I want you to consider over the next week or two to, to sign up to be a group leader and, uh, and to really help facilitate relationships for other people as well. And so that's on our website. You can go to blueridgechurch.com and go to the groups tab and sign up for that. But I appreciate you being here. As always, thank you so much for everything you all do, and I hope you have a great rest of your week. Thank you.